Jessica Williams on WPRK Winter Park, Florida. That was Burke's Works. You're listening to a certain degree. Good morning. My name is Nick. I'm here with a very special guest. As we do every week, we have a very special guest. This one is extra special uh, because he was a professor of mine at the Crummer Graduate School of Business. You're welcome for having me as a student. It was it was my pleasure, quite frankly. <laughs> Ron Piccolo is here. Dr. Ron Piccolo is here uh, to help us out with all sorts of things. I got all sorts of management questions. <laughs> All sorts of stuff for you. So, good morning, Ron. Thanks good for morning. being here. Thank Thanks you for coming it's, out this early. I'm very excited. Thank you. Okay, you got coffee. I got it. And, Ready to go. Okay. Well, good. So let's just jump into it. So, Ron Piccolo, uh, currently Galloway Professor of Management at UCF, formerly again at uh, Rollins. Anything you want to say about UCF? Also, my alma mater. So, Rollins, UCF, both schools I went to. Yeah, I was here. Uh, at Rollins for seven years. It was a great experience. Loved every minute of it. I'm a graduate, so I'm an, an alumnus of the college. And uh, I had been at UCF from 2005 to 2009 and then came to Rollins from 09 to 16 and then back to UCF. Nice. So it's, uh, you know, it's good. Both very, two great places, very different, of course, in terms of their size. Both and, very small schools. Yeah. Yep. 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 <clears throat> it's hard to find your way around the UCF <laughs> campus it's its own city but yeah but it's very dynamic a lot of good people there a lot of a lot of good things happening uh, it's kind of a nice time to be there they're, they're a major um, contributor to the local economy I mean just by oh, scale yeah. and uh, all the things that they're doing downtown and the med school and, and uh, even on the on the east coast so it's exciting to be there yeah. Well, and uh, so we're, we miss you here, but we're glad that you're over there, you know, hopefully sending students our way. Yes. At Rollins. Of course. Yeah, yeah, Yes, yeah. of course. So just working. Like, this is the long game we're playing here yeah, with Rollins. Fine. Should we be talking about this on the air? Well, sure. Why not? Okay, good. Yeah. <laughs> there, there are no secrets in the business. <laughs> That's a good point. That's a good point. So let's get into it. We're going to learn a little bit more about you. And I'm super excited to have you on because you were one of my favorite faculty members over at Crummer. Thank you. Sorry, all the other ones who are listening. <laughs> They're not listening. It's fine. So we're going to start with something, get to know you a little better with 20 questions. Okay. So as you may have heard, we don't just do yes or no, up or down. Very distinctly choose how we play this game as to confuse people. So this week it's going to be all work or no play. So if you're for something, say all work. What's better than working? What's better than being busy? All the time, every day. Okay. Because as a father, as a professor, yep. as a, you're the chair of the management department over there. And as somebody has to now publish all the time, you're busy all the time. All the time. Yeah. No play. I guess that's the same thing, but still, it doesn't sound as cool as right. all work. Not so cool that's how we're going to do it. Okay. So all work is thumbs up, no play is thumbs down. Thumbs down. Got okay. It. So this is uh, in the in the news this week, and apparently for the last couple of weeks, one of the best sellers has come back. It's 1984. How do you feel about 1984? The book, not the year. All, all work. You like that one? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's the fact that it's so many years later and uh, people can interpret it however they like, but I, I like looking back 20, 30, 50, 100 years, even at news headlines and at ideas, and you say, well, same same phenomenon is same this year today. Now. Yeah. In fact, I did, history that, repeats. I did that in a, in a class one time where I, I think it was like in the 70s, it was a, headlines in the 70s about you know, what, what people can expect in the coming decade mm -hmm. about the integration of technology and the global global world and people are moving around and people distracted by their new electronic devices. 
if you looked at that, you would have thought it was 2005, but right, it was right, like right. 1970. Right. It's like oh, the same. Oh, newfangled fax thing. machine is going to mess us up yeah, forever. It's the same thing. So, I, I mean, I, I'll work on that one. Yeah, okay. I'm with it. Kind of along those same lines then, how do you feel about millennials? Uh, all work. Yeah. Yeah. So speaking of history repeating, you see all these articles about they're the most selfish, they're the most this, that, and it turns yeah, out we're always that way. Yeah, no, I, don't, I, I mean, the, the characterization of that group is uh, a little misplaced in my mind. They're making the attribution to the, the time and when these uh, young folks were born, but I think you know, that the criticisms are the same for people who are just 25 right. years old. That's, that was the same way, right? And oh, so Absolutely. I'm being self-interested in short-term uh, attention span. I mean, that's that's how different is that than any any twenty to twenty-five I think the, uh, they're brilliant. I mean, the, the access to information and be able to put things together and and I, I remember being here and certainly now at UCF, you just see more of them. You know, I get to work at seven thirty or seven forty-five, and there's not if there's not twenty students sitting around in the lobby reading and studying and and working. I don't. I don't see the total slacker mentality that's suggested. Right. I just don't see it. Right. They're 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 great. Well, that's because it's it's still me, Generation X. I'm still the one slacking. Yeah, yeah. We're yeah. still we're still yeah, kind of yeah, yeah. you know just just getting. All by. right, millennials, you fix it. Yeah. I think the one thing that bothers me is kind of the the other side of that is when you read all these articles about well, how do you get uh, how do you make millennials happy at work because you want them there yeah. for whatever they have more energy. Yeah. They, uh, you know, they, the argument could be they look good. It's nice to have young people at yep. your office. And the the arguments are always stuff that I'm like, well, I want that too. Yeah. It's not yeah. just, so uh, opportunity for professional development, opportunity for leadership development. You know, uh, I want to feel like uh, I'm, what I'm doing is meaningful and what the organization is doing. Like, that's not just for millennials. Can I have that as well? Yeah, or does right. that not count for me? That's right. Yeah, yeah. it's... Uh... The, the, what people desire fundamentally doesn't change all that much. I mean, right. the weight of different things will change over the course of someone's work career. But as you just pointed out, we all we all want similar things right. out, of, out of work and, and out of our relationships, et cetera. All right. So let's move on to some twins. How do you feel about Scott and Mark Kelly? Don't know who they are. Okay. So NASA astronauts, uh, Scott spent a year on the space station. Okay. So they wanted to see what the difference in physiology oh, wow. would be once Scott got back. So Interesting. they did this uh, twin study. Yeah. All work. All work. Yeah. 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 So I was a little disappointed that he came back. He was two inches taller. There was some other stuff going on. Like his eyesight was worse. Bone density was worse because, you know, you'd be yeah. in space. Interesting. The two inches taller was kind of neat though. Very interesting. Uh, but no superpowers. Uh, okay. Didn't get hit with any cosmic rays. Nothing. Didn't can't like elongate or you know turn invisible. So I was can, a little disappointed. Can he run faster than no. his brother? No, no. nothing. Okay, no. actually probably a little bit slower because the <laughs> muscle mass hasn't come back yet. All right, staying in space for a second. How do you feel about colonizing Mars? Uh, no play. Oh no, you don't want to go. Now is this personally, or you think as a uh, investment opportunity, it's not a good idea? I don't know. I just it's. It's too far off, I guess, for me to think seriously about it. I suppose I know the there's a number of sort of outposts and enclaves developing in the uh, great northwest of our own country where people are trying to separate themselves from day to day life. It's, I suppose if people had an opportunity to go to Mars to separate, they would take advantage of that sure. opportunity. But uh, I don't know. It just doesn't it just doesn't seem plausible at this point. So it's hard hard for me to get 
to, too excited so about still that. Still a little too much science fiction. Too, yeah, I think yeah. so. I'm, uh, yeah, I'm, that doesn't have my attention. Not All interested. Right. Elon Musk, I know you're listening. So work on that. It has to feel yeah. more real yeah. before Ron will go. Okay, <laughs> good. So how about medical marijuana? Uh, I'll go all work on that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I imagine there's some benefits to it. I can see where, uh, there'd be some relief. Uh, anyone who's had friends or family kind of suffer through different medical conditions, you know, will do whatever they need to do to help them ease yeah. the pain. And, yeah. and if there's, if there's a benefit to that, and I, I imagine there is, then yeah, I'm for it. Even if it's just psychosomatic at that point, yeah, just giving something that yeah, offers some it's fine. relief. Yeah, yep, I'm, I'm in. All right, technology, Snapchat. Uh, my daughter uses it more than I do, mostly to kind of take pictures of herself, and uh, I, I don't really use it. I, I think I'll, I, I'll go all work on it because mm -hmm. I do like the, the mission of the company, kind of telling the story of life through pictures. I, yep. I like it. Yeah, I haven't used it very often. I could see the benefits of it. Uh, maybe it's something I need to do a little more of. I, you know, I'll do Twitter and Facebook and LinkedIn and mm -hmm. a couple of those other things. But haven't got all into Snapchat. But I would, I would go for it. All yeah. right, very good. And zombies. Uh, no play. No play. No so interest. either in real life or in pop culture, you're like nothing. Nah, I'm good. Doesn't do it for me. All nope. right. <laughs> so after 146 years, uh, they're closing down, I think either in March or in May. I know it starts with an M. Barnum, uh, P.T. Barnum, yeah. Bailey Circus. I'm disappointed by that. I, so what, what should I say? Am I, dis am I excited about closing it down or about Barnum about, and Bailey? So how do you feel about Barnum and Bailey in general? Because this is going to be something that, you know, is going to go into a history book. Yeah. They're going to do documentaries about it. But yeah people are no longer going to be able to experience yeah, the traveling would, circus. Yeah, that disappoints me. I would yeah. say all work on the on the circus. Yeah. I remember it as a kid. It was fun. It, you know, certainly it lost its edge. It didn't adapt. I mean, if we were looking at this from a strategy point of view and right, uh, right, right. imagining how it competes in the market, so many alternatives. Uh, but even Ice Capades has survived, right? Like Disney on they Ice has survived. They around. And, yeah, yeah. They make it relevant and, and stories and... And so uh, I, I wish it would stay, but uh, okay, chalk it up. Away we go to the next thing. I did see they had a, I think it was a date here recently, or maybe it's coming up, but it was the uh, Extreme, Barnum and Bailey Extreme. And I was like, well, that's about 20 years too late. Yep, yep. Because that, that's a catchphrase that we don't ever use anymore. <laughs> so it could have been Barnum and Bailey on fleek or something along those lines. That would have been better. All right, technology again, driverless cars. All work. Yeah, yeah. For that, let's go for it. Okay. Yeah, I think the technology is good. Uh, I've seen examples of it. It seems to be fine. Uh, I, I, just the way the, the the cars have been able to sense things and, and regulate. So yeah, I'm all work on that. And there's going to be some stuff that goes on. There's going to be some accidents. Of course, going to be those sorts of yeah. things. But and backstreet backseat drivers, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> right, yelling at the computer. Yes. Why yes. are you going this way? <laughs> <laughs> There's always traffic. All right. So we're just out of January, but I still like to ask you about this. How do you feel about New Year's resolutions? Uh, all work. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm not good at keeping them all the way through, but I, it does sort of signal people who are making resolutions or trying to improve or trying to evolve or like looking towards the future or imagining the ideal self or uh, at least conjuring routines that would 
would right. benefit themselves. So, uh, you know, depending the, on what the what the resolution is. Right, but, uh, right. But for the most part, uh, when people think about losing weight or reading more or cooking more or spending more time with family, like those are good things that people should think about. All of those are very positive resolutions. Like those are none of mine. Okay. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I'm stay at my weight. Yeah. Maybe gain some. I'm going to read a book this year. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. yeah those sorts of things. Like That's realistic good. resolutions, I feel like, are important. Probably feel better about having accomplished them. Sure. <laughs> yeah. So, speaking of accomplishment, the Super Bowl, all work or no play? All work. Yeah. yeah even last night, I wasn't particularly interested in the teams that were playing, but uh, still wanted to see it. And it was, what a game. Did you happen to catch it's the end? It's crazy, yeah. So I was, uh, of course, I don't have cable anymore. I disconnected from everything. Good for and you. for whatever reason, I thought that there's no way they're just going to show it for free online. Turns out they did. Fox yeah. was streaming it all over the place. So I was watching it. I was working on the show. I was working for work. It was great. Yeah. Couldn't believe it. Yeah, just amazing game. I mean, yeah. I feel bad for Atlanta on yep. some level. Uh, and I feel bad that, you know, New England won because I'm a Buffalo fan. <laughs> But uh, other than that, yeah, it's always nice to see a good game at the end of the year. Yeah. 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 All right. How about theme parks? Uh, all work. Yeah. Yeah. You, you give me a lot of good uh, good things here. Yeah, we, we go all the time. We're annual pass holders at Disney and, mm -hmm. and at SeaWorld. The kids are at the age where they enjoy it, and, and we enjoy going with them. So, yeah, yeah. all work on those. I, they're fun. Good. Yeah. All right, so this has come up because of a movie called La La Land. I don't know if you've yeah, seen it, but seen in it. general, musicals. Uh, all work. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't care for La La Land all that much. I didn't really see it as a musical. Yeah. Like, there weren't enough songs. There were enough songs that I could say, I break out into song about that much during the course of the day. Like, to me, it has to be predominantly <laughs> songs for it to be a musical. Yeah, I, I, uh, I think that's fair. I think that's fair. I think the... You know, a lot of the great musicals have signature songs that you'll oh, sure. sing yeah. you know, wherever you are. And I, I don't know that there were any in, in that particular movie. That just seemed kind of slow. Uh, it was, it, yeah, I, the, visually it was stunning. I think the first song and the first uh, dance number was basically a Gap ad. Mm -hmm. And so I think that was the, the challenge that I had with that one. But uh, yeah, musicals in general. So you like all the old classic ones? Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't say all the old. I haven't seen them all, but uh, I, you know, of course, the ones Sound of Music and uh, I like Chicago. Yep. And all, you know the Good. ones that I you know, are in my genre, in my age group, anyway. Good, because musicals comes up later on in the show. All right. So I'm glad. Let's keep it going. Them. So we're ensconced in this right now. Uh, we'll have the Oscars coming up. I think the Grammys are coming up as well. Award season in general. All work or no play. No play. No. Don't care. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's. Uh, it feels when I look at that, it's a little self-aggrandizing. They, yep. they all kind of pat each other on the back, and it's mysterious how they make these choices and uh, sort of insider excitement about this stuff. Right, right? Right, right. It doesn't necessarily correlate with you know, the general public's opinion or even my opinion. So, no play, not interested. Oh, so as long as if it's not your opinion, then you're out. Uh, pretty much. No, <laughs> that, makes that makes perfect sense. All right, uh, so they showed, I, I'm not much anymore on the commercials during the Super Bowl, but they did show a little bit of the second season of Stranger Things. So I don't know if you watch the show or you sort of been seeing this cultural phenomenon. Do you have an opinion? I haven't seen it, I'm sorry to say. Uh, we don't watch much television anymore, although we have uh, young children, so we watch... No, that sort of we, television. Yeah, we watch... They uh, would love Stranger PJ Things. PJ Masks. Yeah, yeah, they love uh, terrifying, awful... Very graphic, 
scenes of death and no, destruction? No, not yet. Oh, that's not weird. Yet. They're four and eight, right? Yeah. Oh, so yeah, they should be they're really close. Into that. They're yeah. close, not yeah. quite there yet. So no, I'm sorry to say I don't happen to have an opinion about the second season of Stranger Things at this time. All sorry. right, very good. I appreciate that. <laughs> Uh, so they uh, recently released some data on a study on this. It's uh, misophonia. Have you heard of this? Are you familiar with this? So this is, uh, so there are people who don't like certain noises. So chewing really sets them off. It's almost like oh, yeah. um, fingers on a, fingernails on a chalkboard for them. But they have a complete fight or flight response. So it, it, it's beyond that. So they're hardwired. Their brain is actually, they did a study, and their, their brain is actually uh, hardwired a little bit differently where their emotional response and what they're hearing, it kind of hits together, and they actually get super angry. Misophonia. It's that, I, I'm, assuming, work. I'm assuming that's something you don't suffer from. Oh, no, I, I'm all work on that. There's, oh, yeah? there's some things that, or loud noises or sudden noises or things that I hear that, that get Drive me. you up a wall? Yes, pretty much. All right, yeah. can you list all of those out in case I ever want to go to you I into could. a fight? Yeah, yeah there's okay. a couple good. I could. Good, good, good. As an example, I think if I'm ever king for a day, the first thing I'll do is eliminate car alarms completely from existence. Everything. I mean, when's the last time you heard a car alarm and saw some, like, masked criminal running away from to, the car? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Never. It never really works. No, it's like a cat runs across the tires and the car alarm goes off and nobody knows how to shut it off. Like, to me, like, Miss Pony is right there. Like, that right. drives me crazy. All right, very good. You know what I thought would be good the other day? So you're ever in line and somebody's not going and somebody honks. And you never know who they're honking at. Yeah. What if you could do a directional honk from your car? Like, maybe somebody's honking at you. You want to honk back. Yeah. But if I could. honk, it almost seems like I'm honking for the person in front of me. Certainly. So yeah. directional honking. We're going to put that down as a possible it's, bad bit. I'm going to write that down. We can do it. It can be done. Directional honking. You're doing really well, by the way, <laughs> uh, as far as your score goes on this. <laughs> so let's go back to the world of technology. How do you feel about drones? Uh, all work. Yeah. Yeah. Those who, who are worried that uh, you know it's an invasion of privacy or uh, give up uh, some of their careful private life you know to drones it's too late for that it's already gone uh, we're i mean the satellites had that going yeah, years ago yeah. so I, I i like it i've seen uh some even some friends have used drones to take pictures of events they're at mm -hmm. and it's very cool a lot can be done there and a yeah. uh, big part of the show last night too the halftime show i think uh lady gaga they had a bunch of red white and blue drones yep. flying around in the background yep. it looked really neat like stars at first and then they started moving around yep. and you weren't sure what was happening. You know, maybe you ate something weird at the <laughs> Super Bowl party you were at. I mean, that was just my experience, maybe. So, technology still. How about the Nintendo Switch, the new Nintendo console? I'm going to go no play for now. I don't really know it. Uh, we, we, we just, again, we're not, uh, at the moment, locked into a lot of those shows and the games uh, on the TV yet. Mm. We're just not there yet. What is, what is the Nintendo Switch? It's, the, it's their newest one, and okay. so it's the most gimmicky one they've ever come out with. Okay. So essentially, it's a tablet that you put the game in, or the game is downloaded to that, and you play up on the screen. But what it allows you to do is take the game with you then, yeah, uh, because you can continue playing on the tablet. Okay. Also, the controllers come out on the side, so if you and I wanted to play, we could set up the tablet, 
take off the controllers and we could play Mario Kart right there. I would say that uh, give me another year or two, and we'll be all work on that. Okay. Yeah, because <laughs> be uh, the kids, that. the kids will like will certainly like that. But for now, we're we're not in that in that space yet. So lucky, yeah. so lucky. All right, Pac Man. This came up because uh, the gentleman who founded Namco Entertainment passed away recently, so affectionately known as the father of Pac-Man. Uh, Masaya Nakamura passed away recently. So, did you ever play when you were a kid? Like, how did you, were you in the arcade? Oh, yeah. Were you not in the arcade? All the time, yeah. yeah. So, I'm all work on that. Yeah. Yeah, I, I uh, have very fond memories of a young boy playing Pac-Man and Miss Pac-Man at the arcade. Those quarters, and yeah, that kind of fun. Boy, there's a lot of guys in here. Wow, okay, I'm going to keep trying. Trying to figure yeah. out uh, the pattern that uh, helped me get earn more points right yeah and i remember the old atari systems someone t showed the trick where if you like turn turn it on and hit the reset button like at the same time then the the pac-man would move more quickly really yeah so oh, i didn't know that one. yeah so i got some high scores mostly because you learn how to sort of trip the system and then the the character just moves around I see. At a much I faster see. pace. It, yeah. I, you know, I was thinking I was going to get to know you, and I'm really getting into your psyche here. Yeah, so. I mean, I think it's part Cheating of like no one's video games. Know how the Got system it. works yeah. so that you can get around this. <laughs> <laughs> True to this day. All right, last question for now. We're going to take a break. We're going to hear some music. But uh, how do you feel about cobbler? All work or no play? The dessert, not the person who fixes your shoes. I'll go no play on that. No play on cobbler. Yeah, because and and the point of view there is if I'm given the choice of desserts, uh, cobbler, or some other things, there's a number of other Low things. on the list. On okay. The list. How about yeah. cobbler or pie? Also low on the low. list? Low. Yeah, Man. still low. Too much fruit, too healthy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I like apple pie. Yeah. Uh, so I'll go there. I like apple cobbler. Yeah, but but even those, I would I would choose some other things before. Okay, those. so what's the, pecan what are the pie, top two? Pecan pie, number one. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. And anything with uh, chocolate ice cream, chocolate probably ice cream second, third, right. and fourth. Yeah. So good. So really, I mean, one of the reasons I'm doing this is to learn all your weaknesses as well. Yes. So now I know there your are many weaknesses. Good. So we're going to play a song by a trio called Medeski, Martin, and Wood. Uh, so this is, we're playing a lot of piano music, so I should mention that. Uh, you're a piano, piano player yourself. Yeah. You mentioned that you're a big fan of Billy Joel, so yeah. I decided to pick some music that is... Not necessarily Joel-like, mm -hmm. but definitely piano-based. Uh, these guys uh, fall on the organ side of things, okay. but they do some uh, piano music every once in a while. Uh, Mendesky, Martin, and Wood, the name of the song is Kenny on WPRK, Winter Park, Florida. You're listening to A Certain Degree, and I'm here with my very special guest, Ron Piccolo. Good morning again, Ron. Good morning, Nick. Thanks for being here. So that was more on the organ side of music, yep, obviously. Very nice. You play piano. I do. How do you feel about the organ in general? Do you have any favorite artists when it comes to, say, blues or stuff like that? Uh, I wouldn't say that I have any particular favorite artists. I do like the sound of the organ. It's nice. It gives a good feel, stretches out the uh, the melodies and, and the supporting uh, harmonies. I like it. It's good. Yeah. 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 All right. You're here as a faculty member, as a former faculty member of mine, so I'm always interested in the sort of academic writing process, Yeah. right? Because I think that's not too far off from the creative writing process, and we'll talk a little bit more about how music sort of fits in with that. But looking back, you just came out with uh, an article, or you co-wrote an article uh, recently. It was about virtual team building yep. and the trust. Is that the most recent one that you've yes. worked on? Yeah, that was most so recently. It was, it was really good because I think it's also really relevant to how we're trying to work nowadays. Yeah. 
uh, which is not always in the same office. Yeah. Even if you're within the same organization, you know, it's still almost like having a virtual team Absolutely. in some cases. But going back, looking at the articles you've done on pay and job satisfaction, the nonprofit board effectiveness, what are some of the ones you're most proud of? And what was what, what are some of the things that you feel like are still relevant today? Yeah, okay. Um, good question. I, I would say, uh, as a blanket statement, I'm, I'm proud of all of them. It's so hard to get published in the journals. Uh, the acceptance rates are usually you know, 10%. Oh, wow. Yeah, so you, you've got some really bright people, well-trained, good writers. Competing. Competing. Yeah. And, and there's limited space in these journals. And, and then even there's a hierarchy within you know, the academic space about which ones are more prestigious than others. And As far as the journals or as far as journals. where the writers are coming from? Both. Oh, okay. Yeah, they're, uh, but... The journal, some of the top journals have five and six percent acceptance rates, so very, very, very challenging to get published. So anytime you get accepted with an academic paper, it's something to be proud of. Uh, I think when I was in my first year of graduate school, worked uh, with an advisor, Tim Judge, we got a couple of papers published uh, right away. So that's 2004, both on leadership, and they're both still pretty relevant uh, all these years later. In fact, I just got a notice that uh, the one paper is the 10th most cited paper in all of IO psychology uh, ever. Wow. Uh, yeah, so uh, really kind of cool, and that's something that I worked on as a grad student. Yeah. And to know that it's still kind of very relevant today. It's in, in a, a, like 45 different textbooks and uh, it's it's really neat. And so very proud of that just because of how long it stayed and because it was one of the first papers I ever worked on. Well, and you're IO famous, which is pretty big. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, in my own little world, it's mm -hmm. cool. So I'm definitely excited about those papers in that time. You know, I've written some papers with students, graduate students, uh, which makes me very proud because uh, you have the mentor role of helping emerging scholars kind of get themselves published. So that's all very good. And the most recent paper that you mentioned, Virtual Teams, was actually uh, written primarily by Bob Ford, who, who was both on the faculty at UCF and Rollins. We worked together. We brought ideas together, which, which relies on some fundamental basics of human development and mm -hmm. human communication and relationship development and recognizing, you know, where those basic ideas get strained in the virtual environment. It's, it's not the same. That's why it's interesting now because things go back and forth as, as more of the communication is virtual, it sort of heightens the uniqueness and the value of traditional face-to-face, -face, you know, written word. Right. Yeah. It, it's almost kind of the, reversal of the pendulum, pendulum, if you will, in that now you really appreciate when people can look at each other and talk and work together in the same room. Like there's some real heightened appreciation for that phenomenon. Right. And I think even something as simple as a handwritten card is more meaningful now than it has been, especially when it comes to yep. work. You just send a quick note to somebody yep. or something along those lines. Uh, so let me ask you this, when you're, when you're reading back on these, or you're writing them, I guess, yeah. are you writing them thinking that they're going to last for 10 years, they're going to last for 15 years? Because well, I would imagine that, that, that's a very different sort of mindset coming into writing something than if you're just, I want to capture sort of the essence of this right now. 
which is, I guess, more on the journalism side. Yeah, I think, well, I think with the academic articles, the journal articles, you know, my sense has always been these are on the record forever. I mean, you are, when, when you're doing your research and characterizing the theories and making an argument, it's, it's going to be in print forever. And, uh, you know, unlike kind of blog posts or other articles that sort of come and go, right. These are in the scientific records, right? These are in the databases that people will search on for, for years. So it kind of raises the uh, importance of being clear and accurate and making a compelling argument. You know, the idea that your, whatever your written word is, is going to be on the record you know, forever, uh, and people will refer back to it and rely on it as evidence if they're building their own case or making mm -hmm. their own. It's sort of, uh, you know, you have to have that mindset. Like I can't powder puff and I can't cut corners and I can't, I can't be casual or lackadaisical about right. this because people I, will rely on this for years to come. And, and, and that, that may not be true, right? I mean, I have some papers that I don't know that anybody's ever read. Right, right, right. Somebody might, right? And somebody might look to that and say, okay, what, what was Piccolo's opinion on this or how did he... It's almost like uh, lawyers with their case law, right? Like yeah, so setting precedent. People and stuff will rely like on this. Yeah. People, you know, at least the scientists will, or at least the folks in our little world will. Mm -hmm. They'll look back and say, "Okay, it was accepted and published in a journal, and so that there's some validation that there's honesty and integrity and, and validity in in this writing." So, kind of, can we take all of those characteristics and apply it to? Anytime somebody's posting something on social media, no, that would like be if nice. those rules apply, this won't go through. Yeah. Well, I, I would imagine the uh, the ease with which people can get information out social media is a lot easier than the peer review process. Uh, unfortunately, the yes. <laughs> unfortunately, yes. But I think even that part where you're thinking about, well, this is going to be on the record for years and years and people are going to be able to refer back to that. Yeah. Maybe think before you yeah, tweet. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, maybe right, just no kidding. on occasion. There should be like a, an automatic 30-minute uh, delay before it. three-day waiting period. 30 minutes later, you yeah. have to you know confirm your willingness <laughs> to post. <laughs> so one of the things you wrote about, I mentioned uh, the nonprofit board effectiveness. Yep. And you're involved in a lot of, uh, do you call it, let me ask you this, because I, I go back. I had Dave Krepko from Second Harvest yeah. Food Bank on. and. You know, trying to figure out, is it nonprofit? Is it not-for-profit? Is it this third sector, social sector? What do you typically refer to it as? Because it seems like you're fairly involved. I hear all those expressions. I mean, uh, I, Margaret Lenane's the one that I, I lean on, who says nonprofit simply a tax status. Everything else about the way those uh, organizations operate is very, very similar. Now, not the same. I don't mean to suggest sure, sure, that sure. nonprofit organizations are the same as for-profit. But whether it's social service or the social sector or not-for-profit or non-profit, it's all, all kind of the same same thing. It's just a higher portion of the operating revenue depends on goodwill right. and, and donations. So out. it's not uh, fees for programming or fees for service. Right? It's donations and goodwill, whether they be from foundations or grants or, or retail donors. That's, that's primarily the difference. Yeah. So let me ask you about some of your specific work on homelessness. So you yeah. not only do studies and articles for academic journals, you are hired as a consultant, you're referred to, you, you come in and help people. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like you did a study on homelessness and the spend that we have mm -hmm. to help people who are homeless within Central Florida. Yeah. Pretty daunting numbers uh, when it comes to what we actually spend and if that's even an accurate number. Yeah. 
And then you were brought in to consult on some stuff that they were doing with the Central Florida Commission on Homelessness. Yeah. And one of the things I thought, so I'm sorry, this is like a double question. Like, yeah. How did you get involved in doing those studies and, and that particular facet of the nonprofit world and things that need help in Central Florida? And then the second part was one of the, the takeaways from the, the, I think, the second study about the coalition was that that group and another group on homelessness uh, and trying to help homeless people should be working together. It seemed very like, oh, well, yeah, of course. Yeah. But it almost takes somebody from the outside to kind of tell people that. Is that how it went down? Yeah. Uh, let me let me back up because the, those two things are are closely related. Okay. So, uh, some years ago, John Hillemeyer was the CEO, president of Orlando Health. Uh, we we've become friends, and he's been a guest in my class several times. Uh, and uh, he was great in class. Kind of just he, he was the CEO of a major hospital network here in town knew a lot of ways to sort of think about problem solving. At the time, he was also chair of the Central Florida Commission on Homelessness. And uh, that's a, an important group in town that kind of sets the strategy for how our community should address homelessness. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's the good thing about it. But, the, but they set the strategy, but they don't necessarily execute. And, that, and they'll be clear to say, that's not what we do. We set the direction. We, live at, we leave execution to the... The different the groups social in town. service yeah. uh, providers, including the homeless services network, right? And they're the primary uh, executor. They pull money from HUD and they pro serve programs, do program oversight, and they do a, a, a number of great things in the community. Well, the two of those groups did not see eye to eye, and, and un there are a lot of reasons why. So John had said, "Come and help, kind of facilitate a meeting between the two boards, act as mediator." just to help get us on the same page. And so that was probably in 13 or 14. Mm -hmm. And so I, before the first meeting, I talked to board members on both sides, trying to understand their points of view. What were they thinking about? What were their concerns? And I went back to John. I said, John, this is not going to be solved in you know, one, a, meeting. One, yeah. one meeting. This There's some underlying fundamental differences in terms of how these two groups see the problem, how they see the resources. And that evolved into a longer term first report I wrote about the two groups, how they could work together. Mm. And often it comes down to who controls the resources. And I think at the heart of the tension that has existed even today, years later, it's about you know, where the resources go and who has final say and who's accountable. Now, the other report that you referred to was a sort of initiative of the commission led by Mayor Jacobs to understand how our community was spending its money in support of family homelessness. So to back up a second, in the homelessness world, they see the programs and they identify the different markets, if you will, chronic homeless veterans, families. Uh, and so they there's different programs for each sort of subset Mm -hmm. that population. And Mayor Jacobs, in this particular case, was interested in family homelessness, how are we doing, how are we spending money. And so what's, what's interesting is I used a very similar approach as I have done with my other studies in the academic world, uh, which is I interviewed as many of the funders to the homeless system as possible and tried to catalog where all the money was coming into the system who's spending money you know, and for what. Mm -hmm. 
and then uh, summarized. I had it wasn't just me; there were several other collaborators sure, on sure. this. Uh, uh, but we ultimately kind of described a character of how much money in our community was being spent on homelessness, and how much was being spent in all these different services. That was a nice snapshot for us to see. Do we need to spend more money or is there enough in the system now? And are we allocating it the right way? Well, without that kind of benchmark, you don't know how you well don't you're know. doing. Yeah, yeah, you don't know. And uh, I, 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 best I could say is this was 80% accurate because we can't get all the information. But we got information from 109 different sources of funding in the community. Wow. And kind of laid that out. And uh, I, I think it's had some some impact in that some policy changes were discussed. In one way, it confirmed that our region was on the right track and doing a lot of the right things. Mm -hmm. And other ways, it, it sort of reveals you know, some needs and some opportunities. Issues, yeah. So it, it was great experience, it was good. I think the, uh, I'm certainly no expert on policy as it relates to homelessness, although I've become a little more aware. I think the uh, value that some of the folks saw is that I was just had no stake in the game. Right. And uh, just as an outsider coming in, trying to be fair, trying to be credible, trying to be objective. It doesn't matter to me where the money comes from or where it goes. I have no self-interest in this. I'm just trying to characterize it. Let's, let's, let's see what happens after that. Right. Yeah. And that seemed like it went pretty well. They have uh, Shelly Lawton is yep. heading up the group now. Yep. Spent, for... uh, not the weekend with her, but her, her and Judge Lawton were at a yep. strategic meeting that I was with uh, last week for Dave's house oh, in, nice. in Daytona. Speaking of which, so we got to spend some time together. Yeah, so she's the new CEO. She's got big plans, big ideas, and uh, good, good. There's, there's still a lot to be done, but they're on it. Yeah, yeah. I worked, uh, Shelly was sort of a client of mine. I was working at an ad agency, and we were working with her on the myregion.org okay. stuff. Okay, so, oh, that's yeah, great. I know her. I actually reached out to her so if she could give me any dirt on you oh, good. beforehand. She had nothing. Nothing? Yeah. 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 Apparently, you're a fairly nice guy, but I'm going to keep <laughs> digging. I'm going to keep digging. So let's take a quick break. Thank you for that. I do want to get back into virtual teams. We'll do that next hour. We're going to play a little Tori Amos. So I don't know if you're familiar with her, again, going with the piano theme. And then we'll come back, do a quick pop quiz, take another break, and then bad business ideas. Sounds good. I know you're excited about yes, that. Yes, I am. I can tell just from looking <laughs> at you, you excited. This is Tori Amos on WPRK, Winter Park, Florida. And just a little bit there from Billy Joel, actually. Very nice. Yeah. So he did, I think it was an entire classic. It was one album, yeah. classical yep. album? Yeah. That's very cool. Uh, and so you He's think got of quite him, a repertoire. Yeah, you think of him as sort of poppy, yep. the 70s stuff and the 80s stuff, and then we didn't start the fire, but he really knows his way around a piano. Well, that's part of what I think makes him uh, interesting to me is he's played so many different styles and had hits in different styles. That's really kind of remarkable. Yeah. He's so, so flexible and versatile, as we would point out. Yes, yes, both of those things. Speaking of which, we're going to see how flexible and versatile you are. I like how in the break you actually tried to get me to tell you what the pop quiz was going yeah. to be about. That's yeah. nice. Yeah, that's thanks. good. That's a true educator right there. Yeah, yeah I gotta get try and try and be prepared. Actually, <laughs> before we get, can I can I set the record straight on yeah. one thing? Yeah, uh, I mentioned I got a text message during the break. I mentioned that my kids are eight and four, but my son is four and a half. Oh yeah. So my, clarify that. I, I, I'm sorry, Aiden, for uh, misrepresenting your age. He 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 was upset that I only called him four. Oh my gosh, he's completely he's yeah, a young and man. I, and I apologize for that, Aiden. Uh, good, make good. that public. Okay. 
let's see how you do here. There is no, uh, there's no curve on this quiz. Oh, okay. So I'm just pointing that out there right now. A new study on sleep published in the journal, it's a journal, uh, Current Biology, shows that an effective way to reset your sleep pattern is to A, go camping for a weekend, B, catch up and oversleep whenever you can, or C, read and rice books. I'd say B, catch up on sleep. Catch up and oversleep whenever you can. No, it's actually camping. Specifically camping with no electronics. So getting a lot of natural nice. daylight, doing all that ah, stuff. Oversleeping, not unlike Anne Rice novels, can really throw off throw your, off your sleep. Okay, well, rhythm. I was wrong yes. about that. There you yeah. go. All right. Uh, on to musicals. Okay. So we already know you love musicals. You're an expert on this. The Dr. Phillips Center for the Performing Arts announced its 17-18 season. Yes. What show is not on the list? Uh, is it A, a musical about the life and times of Gloria Estefan? Is it B, a one-man show based on Spider-Man starring Patrick Stewart? Or is it C, a sequel to The Phantom of the Opera? Well, I know the sequel to Phantom is on there. I'm going to say B, the one with the Spider-Man. Spider-Man and Patrick Stewart. You are correct. On your feet is the story of Emilio and Gloria Estefan. Oh, very nice. So that'll be part of it. Excellent. Love Never Dies is the sequel to The Phantom, which I didn't know they did a sequel. I thought yeah. everybody died in that one, yes. but never saw it. Uh, full, so spoiler alert, if they do die, I'm not sure. Yeah. <laughs> uh, full lineup, uh, they also have King and I. The Book of Mormon is yep. coming back for a little bit. School of Rock, the musical, The Lion King, Waitress, Something Rotten, and Rent. And then Hamilton the next year, apparently, yes. has been announced. So start getting ready it's to buy great tickets season. for that. Great yeah. season. We're, yeah. we're season uh, subscribers. Right. Yeah, we go every month. Yeah. Very nice. All right, so let's talk about music okay. a little bit. What band played its last concert this weekend after nearly 50 years of recording and performing music? It Was it A, Fleetwood Mac, B, The Backstreet Boys, or C, Black Sabbath? 50 years. Mm -hmm. uh, I'll say Fleetwood Mac. Uh, no, Fleetwood Mac is still around, still yeah. touring. Black Sabbath, actually, formed in 1968. Uh, the original lineup, guitarist uh, Tommy Yomi, bassist Geezer Butler, drummer Bill Ward, and, of course, Ozzy Osbourne. Yep. So Ozzy left in 77 and then came back in 97. And so this was uh, dubbed the End Tour. Okay. And so they did their last uh, show, I think, Saturday night in Birmingham in the UK, which is where the band was formed. Interesting. Didn't know yeah. that. I, I would have thought they started later, but I was wrong. There. Yeah, 1968. Yeah. You would think that. Yeah, I thought that too when I was reading about them. Um, and Backstreet Boys, of course, started at least a century ago <laughs> and have been like Anne Rice novels, just been around that long. Politics. Okay. Ready? We don't have to judge. That's fine. Okay. A lot of things going on in D.C. this week. Yeah, maybe, uh, including bills being filed in Congress, which is not a bill filed from our Florida representatives. Is it a uh, uh, an amendment to the National Security Act of 1947 to protect the National Security Council? Is it B, softening rules that prevent any increase in legalized sports betting? Or C, terminating the Environmental Protection Agency? So which is not one that was uh, put forth by a Florida congressman or congresswoman. I would say C. Uh, the Terminating the Environmental Protection Agency. No, actually, that was, uh, that was one of ours. Uh, the Hard gambling bill was proposed by two congressmen from New Jersey. Yeah. Uh, so they're trying to soften the rules on sports betting. Uh, Representative Stephanie Murphy put forth the one about the National Security yeah. Council trying yeah. to get Steve Bannon not that. to be on him. Yep. Uh, so, and of course, Stephanie Murphy is here. Uh, yep. She lives in Winter Park. Yep. Uh, 
actually met her at Foxtail Coffee the other day. She said uh, T-shirt Rollins too a little bit. Yeah, she did. Yeah. Florida Congressman Matt Getz, who represents, uh, he's way, way northwest Florida, the very tip of the Florida panhandle, introduced a bill to disband the EPA, okay. get rid of it altogether. All right. Good. So uh, One for four. Yeah, that's good. That's good. So you got the musical I would stuff. Have, I would have predicted that. Yeah. <laughs> okay, we'll have a curve. That's passing. All right, very good. So we're going to play a couple of uh, commercials, sort of, as much as we have commercials. And then we're going to come back with some Herbie Hancock, also oh, nice. a pianist very of nice. uh, ill repute. Or, sorry, not ill repute. What's the word I'm looking for? Excellent repute? Sure. Sure. Yeah. Let's go with that one. Herbie Hancock on WPRK, Winter Park, Florida. That's Thieves in the Temple. That's actually a cover of a Prince song. Very nice. So Prince passed away yeah. last year. So it's nice to hear some of the songs. Well, back. yeah, we, we talked you know, musical preferences leading up to our time together. here. Mm -hmm. I love covers. Yeah. So I, I have Spotify and I'll search for covers all the time. I it's, just... I just I find it fascinating how people sort of reinterpret, their, right? Yeah, like take it. it and and take it in a different way. And piano often seems to be a way to do that with a little more of a range. Good yeah. morning, my name is Nick, by the way, and this is to a certain degree. My guest today is Ron Piccolo. Yeah. We're going to do bad business ideas in a second, but we're going to talk about music. Yeah, because we just heard that. Uh, I do have some other covers, but I think that when you do a piano cover, it's almost like you can get to a point where you can do it and. They're kind of almost trying to imitate the vocalizations from the song if, yeah. it's a, if it has lyrics or emotional range on it seems to be a little bit higher. So we might hear a couple more songs. That sounds great. In that vein yeah. uh, coming up. So when you're playing piano and you're doing songs like that, is that how sometimes you interpret the songs? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, I'm not a great piano player by any means, but that's my favorite part is to try and memorize a song and know it cold in mm -hmm. terms of melody and and the the harmony and, and all the chord changes and then try and figure out how to kind of make it my own and, and i'm not good enough to kind of improvise and just change it, it only but but finding little spots where i can add a turnaround or add a different chord that gives it a different flavor uh, just it's just the way i keep myself entertained nice. now and again <laughs> So we're going to talk a little bit more about music, but we have to get through uh, quite a bit of bad business ideas. So, Ron, uh, you were a professor of mine here at the Carmel Graduate School of Business, yep. so where I did my MBA. And so coming up with some good bad business ideas was tough. So spent a lot of time going down some, I don't know, some rabbit holes that uh, didn't really work out for me. So I think I've come up with a couple of good ones. Ron, may I call you Ron? Yes, please. All right. Thank you. There are a lot of acronyms, catchphrases, terms in the business world. And you may not know this, but I love jamming words together. Okay. And when you do that, that's actually called a portmanteau. So just for trivial pursuit purposes, if you ever need that. One, for example, Sinner Jaguar. So finding alignment quickly and also using your claws. So Synergy plus Jaguar. Pre-proactive is one of my favorites. <laughs> it's taking action in advance of a future situation before you're even working for the company. So... I do this all the time, comments on websites. I'm not complaining about a business on Yelp. I'm trying to make it better in case I want to work there someday. Got it. Pre-proactive. Like it. So this is one I've come up with, been using it for years, 2010-5. So this is describing a department or an organization that is wonderfully good at being inefficient, like just awesome at it. Yeah. And so the idea is that uh, they have 20 people doing the job of 10, but they're still five people short. 
So 2010-5s usually have one thing in common, and that's silos. I'm convinced that, you know, organizations in general, you know, you have that if it's if a group is over five people, it's too big or the Mm -hmm. Jeff Bezos, I think, has a two pizza rule for his teams. Right. Like if you if you can't feed them with two pizzas, it's too big. We just tend to organize in silos because it's easier to just think about your little world and not the big picture. What do we do about them? Do we store more grain? No, that's that's a completely different type of silo. I learned because I did some research on this last night. I read almost one article about it. So how do you fix it? At first, I thought the solution would be, bear with me here, more silos. Okay. Like just silos on silos, yeah. inception style, like just build them up. And so, because uh, all of the research I did, all of the results, none of them had that. So I was like, we still have them. Yeah. None of these work. Yeah. My way. More silos. No, that's not the way. In everything I read, the ways to reduce silos, and you, I, I think, have probably written about this, you probably uh-huh. taught about this, it sounds exhausting. There's a lot of discussions that have to be done. You have to get on the same page as far as your mission goes. Yeah. You have to talk about the silos. You have to figure out where the silos are. You have to figure out who's got the biggest silo. Yeah. I would imagine that you know, is, dominates the conversation. My silo is bigger than yours, that sort of thing. There's a real opportunity here. Silos happen. What do we do to takes very little effort and something we can monetize? Because at the end of this, what I want is something that you can run for me. Okay. Uh, Maybe you pick this one. Maybe you pick the other one. So can we come up with a way to quickly measure a company's silo quotient or SQ, give them actionable actions, and then monitor it and automate it, uh, the monitoring of it, so we can just keep charging the money over time? Is there a way to do that? Let me tell you, yes, for sure. So my solution I've come up with is called rubbing elbows. Why rubbing elbows? Great question. This solution will get people out of their offices. It will get them talking with each other, with people they may not interact with on a day-to-day basis. Also, we're going to implant sensors in their elbows. So that's important because we need to track them. So I know what you're going to ask. Nick, why don't we just use like a Fitbit? Why are you implanting things in people's elbows? That sounds crazy. Ron, I didn't even think of that. That's a great idea. Let's do that. Or even track them with their smartphones. The point is, we're not going to track them like how well they're doing at work how much social media they're doing it while, you know, while they should be working or something along those lines, literally tracking where they are and getting them out of their office to go talk to other people. So we talked a little bit about it earlier, like get out of your office, that face-to-face has become more important, whether you're on a virtual team or any other kind of team. So I'm using your research against you. Okay. I hope you're happy with that. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to build a proprietary algorithm that measures each employee's conviviality, if you will, how congenial they are simply by tracking their movements. People eating lunch at their desks, thumbs down, that's bad. Long meetings with members of the same department, points, you get deducted. Uh, Crying in the bathroom because you're having an anxiety attack about how you're doing in this new big brother-like environment. That's not good for your score. It's probably not good overall. Now, I like to think ahead, what's gonna be the biggest roadblock, the most prominent complaint from employees? What do you think? I have to get out and talk to people or I'm I'm less productive in my work because I'm chit-chatting. Right. Uh, Possibly the privacy issues too. Oh yeah, that too. Yeah. yeah. Uh, But the cost of it, like I have to go out and have coffee with people. Right. Coffee isn't free. Right. Costs money. Lunch isn't getting any cheaper. Guess what? What do we have now that we're tracking everybody? A lot of data on what everybody's doing because we can also track them on their home, what they're doing, and we can sell that information. Yeah. And then underwrite sort of a coffee 
buying clubs saying it. it work. So we can, we're going so to pay for a benefit. Your hobby. So they're being compensated for it, essentially. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're being compensated for being tracked 24-7 yeah. by yeah. The, the employer. Employers get to know each other. Employees get to know each other, excuse me. Silos crumbling down. Huge lawsuits, probably. Business as usual, only better. So that's rubbing elbows. That's the first idea. Okay. So basically... Uh, being able to track how employees move around uh, your organization, whether yeah. they're uh, interacting with their And giving them a score accordingly. So it reminded me a little bit, I was reading an article that you posted about holacracy <laughs> over at Zappos. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so that, that, that was very interesting because yeah. what they do is they take their, they have a score yeah. type of system and people who are not performing very well get sent to the beach, mm -hmm. which sounds very apocalyptic <laughs> and future dystopian, but is actually, well, you're not doing well, so you're going to go over here. Yeah. So the scoring system, I think, has, yeah. some, has some precedent. I don't think it's a great idea. <laughs> <laughs> I think it could work, though. All right, let's go on to the second idea. I like art. Do you like art? I do like art. I like music, books, uh, anything yeah. on the top of lattes, I'm totally into. Yep. Like the little leaf and the hearts and all of that stuff. But when it comes to music, like I listen to something for a while and then I'm done with it. I read a book, I put it down, I'm done with it. I feel bad that it's just sitting there. Also paintings, though. Like I get kind of, all right, you know, I've gotten everything I'm going to get out of this for now. Yeah. I'd like to change things around. I get sort of uh, art ADD, if you will. I love it when I get it as a gift. I love it uh, when I buy it. I obviously like to make some sculptures here and there. What do I do when I get bored? Uh, I need to be able to rotate stuff out like a museum, but I don't have necessarily the budget to do that yeah. or do I hmm. no I don't okay I do not right. but we will have a new app with this new company called clean slate we'll be able to help people change their art out more often how do we do this you create a profile you go on clean slate you create a profile for each piece of art that you have that you're willing to loan out to yeah. other people yeah and so essentially you do that everybody else does that you say uh, I'd like to loan this out for two months yeah and then uh, you post your stuff then you go on and look for the art that you want so you just right swipe, oh, I like this one, I like this one, and then you hook up with that person. Yeah. Maybe it's just a group of friends that you have, and you just go through the art. Maybe they have it under their bed, and they're not even using it. Why aren't you using your art? Why don't you have it displayed? I don't have enough wall space. I got wall space. That'd be great. I got some new art yeah. I can look at over the course of the day. That's the idea behind it, clean slate. And then you also you know, have this opportunity to miss your art a little bit. You know, you don't have yeah. it up. You don't feel guilty that it's under the bed, that you don't have a display. Yeah. And I'm talking like art. I'm not talking like velvet stuff or, yeah. you know, some of the boudoir photos that some of us have of ourselves. Uh, so clean slate and, you know, it makes you miss your art. So absence makes the art grow fonder. I like it. That's the idea behind it. So at the end of this, I don't know if I mentioned this, bad business ideas. One of the key components is that you come in, you help me develop these ideas and then you run with it. Legally, you're obligated okay. because of the NDA you signed just by appearing on the show I like to it. take one of these and just go with it. Because I know you got a lot on your plate. Sure. I know you got a lot. There's always room for more. There's always room for more. And Jello. Yes. Yeah, for yeah. both of those. So what do you think? Rubbing elbows it ties into some of the research you've done. Mm -hmm. Super invasive. Mm -hmm. um, possibly a lot of lawsuits. But it could be kind of fun. Yeah. Uh, or clean slate. So basically Tinder for art, which I think is uh, an accurate way to describe it. I uh, actually think that Clean Slate is actually a good business idea. Okay. I don't think that's a bad business idea. I don't know how to, how to respond to that. The idea that someone could create a profile 
based on you know the things that they've created or the things that they like and it becomes this kind of shared network where mm -hmm. where people are sending paintings and drawings and uh, around yeah. all around sort of uh, a broad need like it's almost like you don't know what's coming next month you get a box and Ooh, you it could be like a mystery thing. yeah so like uh, I know there's some some services I think stitch fix is one that where you choose clothing if you've ever seen that yet so you oh can, yeah so you have like a style and they just yeah, send you, you some stuff. create a profile and then you don't know what they're gonna send you but the, every month or two depending on how you set up they they send you a new outfit right so for men it's good because you don't have to shop like just new clothes come and right you wear it um, so that that's not a bad idea if you think about artists who want to get their their work out you think of people who sort of want to be able to tell a little story about mm -hmm. the, the pieces that are on display all right and so uh, I mean how many times you walk into offices or homes and it's pretty static it's the same stuff right every time so now if uh, new people come over and you have a new art you know and there's a story attached to it and something new and Impress uh, your I friends. think it's actually quite interesting that 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 could have legs okay well yeah. i'm excited that you're excited about it because now it's yours let's do it i'm just a silent partner in all this yeah and i'll expect a report on my desk sure with a business plan say by the end of the week okay. you have students now that can do I, this I, for we you can right do it. yeah we will put a model together here shortly <laughs> i'm not so sure about the um rubbing elbows that's uh i just I, I, you know, every time there's recommendations that people get on the same page or spend more time together, I'm like, well, maybe not. Maybe they, you know, <laughs> maybe there's a reason better they're off that they're not on the same page. Yeah. Right. Right. The, the people need their own space sometimes. It, it struck me as a little bit of a productivity nightmare. Yes. And I think that's why, again, it'll work because no one's really put forward a plan to bust silos by taking away all productivity of an organization. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I like 2010.5 as the uh 2010.5 is yeah. my, uh, it, that's one of my too, favorites. A little too closer to reality than we prefer. Isn't it? You can take that and put it in one of your papers. <laughs> I will. I'm totally fine with that. All right, so let's hear some more cover music. Thank you for your feedback, and thank you for running with Clean Slate. By the way, anybody who is listening, uh, you've also signed an NDA just by listening that you can't steal this idea. Okay. So I should probably, like, you know, do Emphasize something with that. this beforehand if you i'm gonna know, you know there's some millennials right now that are already <laughs> are doing it cranking it, it you out know, chances are i do very little research for this segment so there might already be a clean <laughs> slide probably out there. Is, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah uh so we're gonna hear from oscar peterson and possibly the uh pa piano tribute players uh let me go ahead and tell you what the songs are okay so the first one's gonna be i can't get no satisfaction uh from the rolling stones and then the piano tribute players are gonna do a cover of uh roll away you stone so a lot of stone-related things. And that's from a band whose name I can't remember because I didn't write it down. Okay. But, uh, yeah, we'll figure it out during the break. Sounds perfect. All right. On Thank WPRK, you. Winter Park, Florida. And that was a cover of Mumford & Sons, Roll Away You Stone. Oh, that's yours. I'll turn this up a little bit. Oh, there we go. Uh, Roll Away You Stones by the Piano Tribute Players. And before that, Oscar Peterson with I Can't Get No. I Can't Get No Satisfaction which I think was by a fairly famous band's, uh, band, the Rolling Stones, yes. if I remember correctly. Who are, who, unlike Black Sabbath, are still, are still on tour. Around. Are, are still, still playing. Yeah, still doing their last tour. I think Mick Jagger <laughs> just had another child, if I understand correctly. Uh, yeah, God good bless for him. him. Yeah. Good for him. Good morning. My name is Nick. You're listening to A Certain Degree. I'm here with my very special guest, Ron Piccolo. We do this every week, or I do this every week. 
I have a special guest in every week. And then what I do is I take the shows and put them online in case you want to listen to something that you missed. You love our bad business ideas. There's all sorts of them out there. Many of them are mine. And you can listen to the rest of the show and things of that nature. You can go to a certain degree.com. Perfect. And it's really, I, I, don't, I don't know why I picked such a difficult name for the show, but uh, that's what I did. Kind of fits. To, well, no, but trying to describe it, you're listening to a certain degree. Oh, I see. To a certain degree.com. Got it. Ugh, I'm not good at marketing. Marketing yeah. for 15 years, and I'm terrible at it. <laughs> so I wanted to talk a little bit. So we heard a couple of cover songs talking about music all day. You're a piano player yourself. You know, I ask every guest, you know, what's your favorite band? Who yeah. would you say? And you said William Joel. Yes. Uh, again, because I don't know him well enough to say Billy. Well, okay, Billy Joel. Billy, if you're listening, and I know you are, <laughs> let's just get over it. I'm going to call you Billy. When you're listening to music, we've been talking about writing and, you know, sort of the academic papers that you're doing. Do you listen to music when you're writing? How do uh, you how do you consume music? Yeah, so I'm, I'm an extrovert, which means uh, I... The, the clutter and the noise actually stimulates me more so than some other folks who you know, want to be in a quiet room and they're mm -hmm. writing or reading. I'm kind of the opposite. I get a lot done at Starbucks. Uh, you, I, I kind of feed off the, 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 the chaos. The room. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I tend to have music playing. What's interesting is I can't have talk radio on right, if I'm reading or yeah. writing because the, the conversation distracts me but the music in the background singing even if it doesn't have to be instrumental but uh it's uh, part of kind of how i work so and uh, billy joel's my, my favorite you know piano player but I, honestly I, I like all kinds of music I, mm -hmm. I like country and i like you know jazz and listen to the 80s and freestyle and uh R&B, there's, there's really not much I don't like. Uh, so I listen to everything. So I think this was, I had no idea about this. We talked a little bit about this off air. Uh, so SAC Comedy Lab yep. here in town, the improv shows they do and some of the stuff they do is pretty remarkable. Yep. But you actually worked there. Yeah. So uh, this is many, many years ago, uh, 2000, a friend of mine and I decided to go through all the SAC improv courses uh, for, for no other reason than we just, wanted to keep ourselves uh, entertained. And so we did all the SAC improv basics. We read the books, we did the courses and classes, and it was, it was a blast. And I learned so much about storytelling and about uh, you know, obviously working with others and communication and signaling. And then towards the end of that, uh, started playing the piano as, as a complement to the scenes that we were creating. And it kind of evolved from there. And so I, played in a couple of shows, uh, mostly kind of the B players. I forget exactly the title they called it, but the, the headliners were like on Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday, Saturday night. And, yeah. I, and I kind of played Monday, Tuesday, Tuesday, Wednesday, yeah, Tuesday yeah. Wednesday. I had a couple of shows with, with the A players and it was a blast. I learned a lot. It, it'll kind of remind you that improv might be unscripted, but it's not unplanned. Mm -hmm. uh, those, those folks know kind of how stories develop and how, where they can create tension and how they might resolve it. And so even then it was, I kind of knew where the story was going, right? Even before it got there. And so that allowed me to just fill in and, and create tension in some places, make exaggerating phrases of music here and then. And, yeah. You know, sometimes you can really change the scene with the right 
kind of riff just a little bit even just yeah. one chord can yeah, really it just kind of sets the tone to sets the context and and they they wanted the musician to be part of the story mm -hmm. meaning you can help sort of create the context and you know create the scene and enhance the the meaning of a particular interaction on stage with the music so it's of, not just background music for a no, couple minutes while they're doing a scene. No, it's, it's, it's like I, part I'm of trying it. to see how the story's developing or if I see something uh, or I hear something or sometimes the, the actor will say something or make an expression and you know that they're kind of signaling that they want the story to go in a particular direction. And, you know, I have to sort of pick up on that and be able to fill it in. And then there were there were actual scenes where that they would sing like with an expression that is set on stage mm -hmm. and they would stop and say, that sounds like a song. And so immediately I would have to play, you know, Some the sort chords of melody and the melody or something. so they yeah, could yeah, yeah. turn that phrase into a song. It was a blast. I, I learned a lot. Obviously there are more talented uh, piano players than me, but you know, it's, for that role, I, I kind of hold my own. It's sort of basic chords and nothing, nothing too fancy. So you'd have to play uh, for if they're doing some sort of blues song, you'd have to play something, something blues, for them. you know, blues chords exchange and, and kind of you know with the intro and, yeah, and yeah, the yeah. typical kind of two verse and and bridge and kind of you know, wrap it up and you know have the big finish and, and and give them enough that they can play off of it. Yeah. Right. So I, part of it is leading and helping to get the story to where they want it to go. That that's kind of the role of that that player. So I'm curious, uh, this may not be the case, but you're writing, maybe you get stuck, creative block. Do you put on some particular music? Do you go play the piano for a while and try to come out of yeah. it? Or you just walk away from it completely? Well, it's it's harder for me to play a lot now, just uh, just busy at work. And mm -hmm. then when we're home, we, you know, playing with the kids, although my daughter's plays and my son has shown an interest in playing. So, you know, we'll play more. But I have described the piano as a bridge for me. So sometimes if I'm just kind of tense or uh, busy sitting down at the piano, even for just five or 10 minutes, just playing a few tones just clears my head. Mm -hmm. And so I obviously don't have a piano you know, in my office where I'm writing, not yet anyway, but it does, it does allow you to kind of think differently for a moment. It's, it's meditative, it's therapeutic, it, it clears my mind. Mm -hmm. uh, and again, I think of it so much of what we're doing with the writing, uh, we kind of giggle. It's like everything's already been said before, just not everybody's had a chance to say it, mm -hmm. right? So whatever we're writing or whatever study we're doing, however, most of the time, somebody's done something like right, this right. already before, but it's our own interpretation of it. How do we see it? How do we make it relevant? How do we bring different pieces together. And that's exactly kind of how it is on the piano too. You know, playing a song, it's like other people have written this melody and played this chord exchange. It's not absolutely new. Okay, so what's our what's our take, what's our on, take it? on it? Yeah, 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 how, yeah. Do, how do we put different pieces together? And so uh, there, there's a way to kind of think through interpretation of music on the piano and it's it's very similar to thinking through interpretation and storytelling you know in the written word i mean it's the same kind of cognitive process of kind of understanding you know, what what the, the basics are understanding the structure of the music i say memorizing it knowing knowing the facts of this phenomenon mm -hmm. cold 
and then sort of working through that you know, with, with different subtlety and different nuance and different turnarounds and different tension points. I mean, that's, that's the art of, of the piano and the art of academic writing. Uh, it's the same, same phenomenon. Okay, so if we want to be better academic writers, we should take up the piano, is what you're saying. Well, take up some way of, of alternative expression. Uh, and that could be art, that could be painting. And even, even painting, art, drawing, all that is just different interpretations of, of reality, of what you see and how you present it and, and uh, what you're trying to convey. Mm-hmm. Right? So, uh, What about hosting a radio show? That'll work, too. Okay, good. That'll Oof. work. You're, you're on your way. You're, oh, my you're gosh, because to... I can't draw and pianos i'm not even really sure what all the keys do you might be able to write something for the journal of applied psychology right by the end of this show (laughs) as much interpretation as we got here i might (laughs) so let's play another song i picked this one because uh billy joel did sing it but it's actually a bob dylan song okay billy joel released it covered it before bob dylan came out with it and then adele covered it and i really enjoy the adele version and it's uh, obviously piano is a big part of it uh, for that very reason so We're going to hear Make You Feel My Love on WPRK, Winter Park, Florida. Have you heard this one before? Great song. Yep, good. And uh, Adele there. Good morning. My name is Nick. You're listening to A Certain Degree. My guest today has been and will continue to be Ron Piccolo, Dr. Ron Piccolo from UCF, formerly of the Cromer Graduate School of Business, uh, twice over, so as a faculty member and as a student there. Yeah, got my MBA at Rollins. Got your MBA. So you started out at Stetson. Yes, you did your degree in mathematics. Mathematics. There. Why the switch over to business from there? Because it seems like mathematics is close, right? Yeah. Like maybe economics, things like that. Yep. But it, you could also go computer science. You could also go yep. in a number of different directions. Yeah, and I, I, I do remember in high school thinking that if I studied math in college, that would give me options afterwards, law school, medical school, business school, whatever. Mm-hmm. And so I, I don't know that I ever imagined a career purely in mathematics, but just thought of it as a good foundation uh, for whatever I did next. And and I think that's part of the reason was I just was going to move somewhere after math. I studied to be an actuary. I took the first actuary exam. And I think the truth is I just wasn't very good at it. <laughs> there, were, there were people who were much better. There's a, you know, as a mathematician, I know there's a mean and a median you know, with every sample and every data set. And I was pretty much below the mean and the median uh, <laughs> when it came to math, especially the higher level yeah, yeah. math. And so uh, it was great foundation. And I, I liked psychology and I liked the idea of you know, kind of the, the hard technical mathematics, logic, uh, theorems, and, and those kinds of things, along with psychology and language. And so moving into business and particularly organizational behavior, is very psychology oriented. Mm-hmm. Uh, just was a nice, nice way to put those two things together. So, and, I, and, that, and that became crystallized, quite frankly, in the MBA program. Right. So I, I was in business, working for an electronics company. Thought that my career would benefit with an MBA, and came to Crummer. And that I think my time at Crummer then, uh, in the mid '90s, sort of made me realize, yeah, this this could be uh, a nice way of putting together math and business and really solidified my desire for an academic career. Oh, and that's when you decided to go get your PhD. Were you yeah. still, uh, I think if I remember correctly, you stopped working in order to pursue your PhD yeah. or did yeah. you continue working? No, I stopped. I'm very fortunate. Uh, my wife was uh, willing to let me stop. Uh, something we negotiated, but I wouldn't have been able to do it if she hadn't 
basically supported me for four years mm -hmm. to go quit my job, go move to Gainesville uh, to get a PhD. And, uh, you know, that was a very significant time for us. And we put, you no, know, she, she put a lot of her career on hold and we put our, starting our family on hold for me to do that. Uh, and so I'm forever grateful for her graciousness in that respect. But yeah, most of the PhD programs, the ones that would allow someone to be a full-time academic, it require you to go full-time. So right, I, had, I had to just stop what I was doing. Turned 30, went to grad school, and never looked back. So that's interesting, too, because if you think about it, you're pretty much committed to teaching at that point. That type of PhD might help at some level in the corporate world, but you might also appear very overqualified. Yeah, no, I actually, I, I, it's probably counterproductive in the, in the yeah. private sector. Yeah. Uh, I think the DBA, which Rollins and Crummer has mm -hmm. now, could be very valuable in the corporate world. Oh, certainly. But the PhD is so research-oriented, so narrow. I mean, they're training you for a career in academia, uh, and typically uh, a research-oriented career in academia. So teaching seems like it's what it's all about but that's just one one piece of it so at that point going to get a phd you're full full in making a career change going to be a full-time academic right, right right there's no turning back yeah is there anything looking back at it I mean, obviously rose-colored glasses and all that is there anything you would have done differently or is there any way you would offer advice now to somebody who's looking at it going ah, master's phd um even bachelor degree to a certain extent yeah Good question. I mean, I'm very, very fortunate that I was able to get in at the University of Florida, uh, where I went got my PhD. Just, I was very fortunate to be there to get in. There were great people on faculty at that time. Again, lucky that uh, Dominique allowed me to stop working to go. Um, and I, you know, it's, but it was clearly the best decision that. You know, best thing that ever happened. I mean, I love the academic career. It's afforded us opportunities that you know, I would never have had if I stayed kind of in the private sector, mm -hmm. like being on this show. Oh if, my gosh! If I was yeah. just sort of a Joe Blow, oh, you, you wouldn't talk to me. Private sector? There's nothing. Ugh. Nothing we can talk Ron about. Piccolo guy. Yeah. So uh, I would say I uh, I benefited from a non-business degree as an undergrad. I mean, mm -hmm. I think looking back, having a math degree. And then go, you know, getting a graduate degree in business was very valuable. That's why I love the model at Rollins, you know, which is primarily liberal arts undergraduate and then, you know, graduate uh, degrees in business. I know that's sort of shifting a little, but I think uh, I, I'm not of the mindset that the undergrads have to be trained for a particular career, you know, when they're 19 right. or 20 years old. Right. I think it's better to study as broadly and uh, as critically as, as a student can and worry about the career later. Well, and if there's one thing that the last 10 years has taught us is that everything remains stable. Technology is right here. It's never going to change. Yeah. So that really a broad education isn't that necessary. It's really not practical, is it? <laughs> no, I think... Uh, I'm a big fan of the liberal arts education. I benefited tremendously by having a liberal arts. I did, my first business class was in grad school. I didn't never had any marketing or anything or, or yeah, management, undergrad. anything, yeah, nothing. Yeah. Now, I was involved in a number of different things on campus, but uh, yeah, if I would, I, you know, we have we have nieces and nephews who are college age now, sort of entering into their 
starting their freshman year and and there's pressure for them to like decide what career they want to have now right and what i feel for them because yeah i mean how, you know, how, it, it, how, you how could you know at 18 or 19 what you want to do and you so can. i was 30 and i changed careers so uh looking back i'd say just be patient like just study as much as broadly as you can and it'll it'll work out uh this is not to suggest people shouldn't have specific skills and competencies but you, you you'll learn that yeah and you can get it the, the best part of education is sort of being exposed to as many different kinds of things and different thought processes as possible well, in that same vein, so you went to three different schools. Mm -hmm. So I think that was important to give you a different perspective mm -hmm. from you went from small school to small school to mm -hmm. really large school. Yeah. Uh, you also, I think, uh, took the time to do it. So you went out and worked for a while, yeah. too. So you got that perspective as well. Yeah. Um, what about the, the little things that you learn? We were talking about SAC earlier. So you do all of those, the classes at SAC, you do the improv classes. There are these other things that you could do to I don't complement yeah. the stuff that you do in the classroom, um, even as a teacher or as a student. Uh, how important are those outside things to you? And how, you know, how valuable was a, a taking some courses and doing some classes uh, at SAC for you? Yeah, the answer to that question, very valuable. I mean, there's, there's always a way to translate whatever experience you have you know, into your career, if that's what you want to do, or into your relationship development or into your personal development. There's always a way to do that. Even if it's just distracting you for a while, even if it's just seeing different people in their own space for a while, there's value in that. So uh, I think uh, there's, I like the idea of people trying to find compliments to their education. And by that, I mean, learning completely different things. I. Here's here's my thought on this. If you are uh, a marketing undergraduate or even marketing in, in grad school and you're finding yourself competing for jobs, you're not going to win the job because of your marketing. Because every person who's interviewing for that job has probably similar level of skill or knowledge mm -hmm. or experience. So you win with something else. You win with whatever complements your ability to market and whether that's art or whether that's history or whether that's sort of a broad understanding of culture and able to translate, you don't, you don't necessarily win with, you know, you know your core expertise or your core skills. Right. Something else brings everyone else is going to have, everybody's the got the same. Everyone's going to have a degree. Everyone's or potentially. Yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. There's, there are differences within a discipline, but, uh, I, you know, I think about, you know, my, my wife had been in investment banking for a long time and, you know, they, they'd go and they do their pitches and they'd bring their, their proposals to the clients. And the, the, my impression was that the, the proposals didn't vary very much. Right. They're all kind of regulated. They're all smart. They're all looking at the same information. They're all developing similar models. And so whoever wins the business, whoever sort of finds their way through all that, it's usually something else besides the financial model. Like you got to have that to just to be at the table, but that's not enough, right? Something else. So that's a long way of saying, yeah, learn art, play the piano, exercise, do something different, right? To stretch people out, travel, and just uh, give people something something different to bring to the table. 
Well, what about, so kind of along the same lines, what about connections? So I had a cousin of mine who graduated from Xavier in yeah. three years. So she's very proud of the fact that she graduated quickly, that she saved a bunch of money, you know, that yeah. fourth year. Uh, but then she graduated without a lot of internships. She graduated without a lot mm -hmm. of, you know, she got to do some study abroad, but not a lot. Uh, so I think she missed out on one of the key elements of college is that, uh, that connection yeah. that you get. So being able to say, I know this person, or now that I have these connections within the organization yeah. uh, or something along those lines, how important is that part of it? And what would you say to sort of compliment? You're, you're outgoing. Uh, you're an extrovert. I am not, even though I play one on the radio. <laughs> how does, how does a person kind of compliment that? Well, I, you know, I never would criticize someone who is able to complete college at a, a great university in three years I mean that's that's fantastic oh sure and uh, I think that could be very valuable for folks if they know where they're going or if they've got it's kind of laid out or there's grad school uh, but I you know I, I'd be one of those folks who'd say people should should study abroad you know after college you know after mm -hmm. like finish your four-year degree and then wander around for a while like uh, I know that that's not real practical and that's not necessarily real efficient but I think the education and the maturity that someone gets from that experience is invaluable small investment for right. a, a much longer payoff uh, down the road learn a new language right do something completely different don't rush into the career uh, because again once once you start once you're in that track it's hard to sort of move yourself into different places I had one guest who came on who we were talking about the gap year. Um, and yeah. even at 18, it still seems like it might be too early to mm -hmm. do something like that. You still don't have any perspective. So actually trying it out between your sophomore and junior year, so two years in college, take a gap year and see yeah. what else is out there and then come back and give you a little bit of a better perspective on maybe what degree you want to get yeah. or something along those lines. Well, I think you know most of the people that I've seen who have done study abroad are just uh, incredibly insightful and mature and emotionally stable like they're they're just at a different level of uh, self-awareness and, mm -hmm. and sort of purpose and I think just you know, being somewhere else you know on your own trying to figure it out trying to work with people exploring new things seeing history right seeing the world from a different viewpoint or, or many different viewpoints is incredibly valuable now whether that's sophomore junior year or after college I don't I don't know that it matters but I think uh, that that's the kind of thing right that's such a, a, a powerful and impactful part of maturity and growing Dominique did that in her junior year and I think we both benefited from from that <laughs> so uh, that's the kind of thing whether it's a gap year mm -hmm. you know you just don't want folks kind of wandering around necessarily sure but, sure but uh, either going abroad or you know working somewhere right working at a in the inner city or in a mechanic shop for example or some get print, some of that or an apprentice for a carpenter like any of that would be a great way to complement kind of traditional uh, book book learning book, lear book learning book learning yes, yes. oh that's what you had well, you have well spoken by yeah. 